0: Thank you, Susie. Hey, I just wanted to remind you guys uh, that uh, following the worship service here today, we're uh, going to have our quarterly church meeting. So everyone's invited to stay and participate in that. But uh, if you're a member here, I would sure uh, strongly encourage you to, to stick around for that. Um, kind of recap some of the things that are going on in the life of the church and and so uh, hope you'll stick around so we will just I guess a heads up at the end of the worship service after we conclude our singing um, we'll we'll transition over pretty quick into that quarterly meeting so um, so if it feels awkward like we're just kind of uh, not doing our normal hangout stuff um, that's why so well, we've been working our way through Exodus and uh, we've uh, kind of um, taken a little extra time here in this particular portion of Exodus in chapter 30 as we've uh, come across the uh, altar of incense and um, the we see that the incense is really uh, very symbolic uh as we see the, through the rest of scripture we see the idea of the incense showing up several on several occasions and and the the picture of the incense is related to prayer the prayers of God's people um rising up to him as a fragrant offering and uh and it, it's it's um, and, and we've talked about this quite a lot before pointed it out and and when you get into the book of Hebrews it actually says as much and that is that what we see here in Exodus are earthly pictures of heavenly realities. And so God sets up uh, the tabernacle and all the furniture therein and uh, the two different chambers of the tabernacle and then the courtyard outside of that. And all of these things are symbolic and give us a picture of some heavenly truths, uh, truths about God, truths about our relationship with him, truths about sin, Truths about forgiveness uh, and acceptance before Him, judgment, um, all sorts of things there. And so uh, so it's good to keep that in mind as we work our way through Exodus, that this isn't just reading about a bunch of old artifacts. These are things that that still speak to us about who God is, what He desires from us, and things that we must do if we are to follow Him and have fellowship with Him. And so in Exodus chapter 30, um, verse 36, in the discussion of of incense and laying out uh, how it was to be made and and the parameters for its use, uh, it, it says this. You shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. So in other words, the incense was to be, uh, so the altar of incense, and we kinda, we kinda talked about this, I wish I would have thought ahead to, to have the, the picture up for you. But, uh, if you were visiting the tabernacle, what you would first walk into would be the main gates of the courtyard, and the first thing you would pass by is the altar of sacrifice. The place where sin would be atoned for, and then you pass by that, in order to enter the tabernacle itself, which had two chambers, the first chamber, the holy place, the second chamber, the most holy place, and they were divided by a very heavy veil. And in in that first chamber that you would enter into, there were a few things, but as you approached the, the, the veil, in front of the veil would be the altar of incense. On the other side of the veil, the place that you could not go, um, uh, there was only one person allowed in there once a year, and it was a very strict. Um, there were very strict uh, 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 parameters for the priest to follow who would go into that most holy place. But the Altar of Incense would sit right in front of the veil, and on the other side of the veil is the Ark of the Testimony or the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of that Ark, which we call it the Ark, but don't think like uh, Noah's Ark here, much smaller than that. Um, think more of a, a container, a box, very ornate, um, but it, uh, essentially a box where in, within that box is contained the um, uh, the um, conditions uh, of the covenant, the the testimony, the 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 covenant that God has with His people. The parameters of that are contained right there within the box. And then on top of the box is the mercy seat. And so the picture we have of, of the Ark of the Covenant, uh, that's where the testimony is, and the mercy seat on top of that really is a representation of both judgment and mercy. Because the covenant, the testimony itself, it really points out the flaws of humanity. Here are the conditions... Of, of of maintaining relationship with God which really says you fall, short, you fall 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 short. But on top of that is the mercy seat where a sin would be atoned for for the people once a year. And the mercy seat gives us a reminder of God's forgiveness, of God's mercy extended to sinners. And so the the Ark of the Covenant the Ark of the Testimony and the mercy seat on top of it remind us of both God's judgment and His mercy, God's wrath and His forgiveness. And, on, and so between that and the altar of incense was this thick veil that we could not pass through, uh, that no one could go through except that one time a year, and even then only one person who was qualified to do so. And, and so the altar of incense then standing before the, that ark of the covenant and the mercy seat where God's judgment and wrath are represented his, as well as his mercy and forgiveness is, is the altar of incense which gives us the very picture as we see through scripture of, of pr- the prayers of God's people rising to him. Now this is all very significant because when we get to the New Testament and the coming of Jesus, our Messiah, the one who laid down his life, the perfect sacrifice for humanity, then, then figuratively speaking, symbolically speaking here, as you walk into the, the courtyard, uh, uh of God, what you encounter is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. One sacrifice good for all of humanity, all those who would accept him by faith, that your, your sins are atoned for at the cross through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so as you, and not only that, but, but the scriptures even say this clearly that when, the moment when, when Jesus died for you and I, the very veil that separated humanity from, 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 uh, the presence of God in the temple, that veil was torn in two, literally, not figuratively, literally, and it was torn from top To bottom. God coming from heaven to earth to forgive sinners. And because of that, now we have been given access to God. And the altar of incense and the scheduled burning of incense was a reminder, uh, is a reminder to us that our our prayers to God should be a continual thing. That we should walk, as the Scriptures say, that we should be continually in prayer. And, um, and cultivating a lifestyle of, of walking with God, uh, both in hearing and conversation and just being with Him. Now, Scripture gives us some very... Um, uh, especially in the New Testament gives us some very bold promises. First uh, John, chapter five, the Apostle John, um, this is this is really some very bold stuff and and I would encourage you to uh, if you've not spent any time going through First John, I would encourage you to read through first John this week. Uh, we're just going to look at a couple verses, but first John chapter five, Uh, Verse 14 and 15. I'm actually going to back up and and read verse 13 because it is extremely significant. Uh, The Apostle John, so so at the end of his letter here, says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Catch that. I mean, many of us walk around and we go, well, I hope I make it in. I hope I make it to heaven someday. I hope God lets me in. But the Apostle John writes to people and says, I'm writing this stuff. So the first, you know, four and a half chapters uh, of, of John here, he says, I write all this to you so that you can know that you have eternal life. Then he goes on to say even even stack more on top of that bold statement and say this. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But wait, there's more. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. That is a bold thing for the Apostle John to say. I mean what audacity to say that hey if we pray God's going to hear us and not only that but he's going to answer us. But don't ignore what John also has in there. He says if we ask anything according to his will he hears us. Do you want your prayers to be heard? Do you want do you want God almighty the one who moves heaven and earth for you? Do you want him to hear your prayers? Well, John clues us into one important key ingredient. It is praying in accordance with His will. And when we pray in accordance with His will, we know He hears us. And when we know He hears us, then we also know that He's going to answer us. On the flip side of that, James chapter four um, is kind of the negative spin on that. James chapter 4, he says, uh, you know, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Well, now, that's not the only problem. He says you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. An example of not praying in accordance with the will of God. So should we expect that our prayers are going to be heard and answered when we pray in accordance with our selfish desires, rather than in accordance with the will of God? It's a rhetorical question. Obviously not. But do you always know what to pray? Do you always know what God's will is? I mean, God spells out much of His will right here. But there are some particulars in the day-to-day that we uh, would like to pray specifically about that is not specifically spelled out in Scripture. Right? I mean choices that we have to make or our loved ones need to make that scripture gives us principles to make decisions on it gives us guidance in what God's general will is but it may not say between these two things pick this one um, or or just in how we ought to pray for for our brothers and sisters in their particular life circumstances um, we want to pray in accordance with God's will but how do we do that well I don't believe that God is um, is wanting to keep us in the dark and wandering around in some mist as if we're just grasping for that mysterical um, thing that that whatever it is that floats around out there that that somehow connects us with the almighty but that God's desire is that we all pray in accordance with His will and that He answers all of our requests. I think that's the will of God because the Scriptures say as much. So, how do we pray in accordance with the will of God? Well, there, we can look at the examples of prayer throughout Scripture, but I think they all are representations of one thing that gets mentioned a few times in the New Testament, praying in the Spirit. Now, praying in the Spirit, um, you may have heard that term, and it may have had a lot of stuff attached to it. What I want to do today is take a look at what does what do what do we glean from Scripture in the places where praying in the Spirit is actually mentioned? Okay. Now, I this is not a a, a um, an exhaustive uh, perspective of what praying in the Spirit entails. Okay. Um, all that might be contained in within that little phrase, but it is to take a look at what does Scripture reveal to us about praying in the Spirit. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna take a look at that. But first, I want to just propose this idea to you. How many of you have ever uh, kayaked or uh, canoed in a river? Some of you need to get out more. I would suggest this. <laughs> try it out. It's pretty cool. Um, but for those of you that have, so, uh, there's, there's slack water and there's current there, there's eddies and then there's the current. And when you're going down the river, when you get in the slack water, you can paddle pretty hard and it feels like you're not really going anywhere. And when, and even if you get into an eddy then where it's sort of working against you, uh, you got to paddle pretty good to get out of it sometimes. But when you hit the current, I mean, it, you, you can feel it, too. I mean, you, you know, you can be in the slack water and you move over about a foot and all of a sudden you hit the current and, and you're moving, baby. I mean, the, the water is just carrying you along. And, and really, your your job at that point, it's not like you're doing nothing. I mean, your job is, is kind of to stay in the current, stay off the rocks, stay off the debris um, and to stay in the current. But you find that when you paddle, you don't really have to paddle to go anywhere because the current takes you to its destination. But you do have to be present. Um, you do have to stay in the current. And there is something for you to do there. Now, I think praying in the Spirit, that gives us a, a, a pretty good idea of praying in the Spirit. That, that it's the Holy Spirit who carries us along to the destination and, and, and all the work isn't on us, but it's also not as if we don't show up to it. It's not like the Holy Spirit just punches in for us and does the work and we kind of kick back. We are fully engaged in the work that the Spirit is doing in praying through us and with us. We're there fully engaged, fully active, fully in the current, but the Holy Spirit is carrying us along to teach us what to pray, to even pray on our behalf when we don't know what to pray, and to lead us along in that. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27 So when we ask the question, okay, John, the Apostle John says if we pray in accordance with the will of God, that God hears us and He's going to answer us, how do we pray in accordance with the will of God? Well, the Spirit of God knows the will of God. So we pray in the Spirit, and then we pray according to the will of God. So how do we pray in the Spirit? Well, um, one of the things that, that the Apostle Paul points out is, you know, we don't know what to pray but the Holy Spirit does. There, there are, in fact, sometimes where we don't even have words to string together as we come before the Father. But the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in perfect unity at all times. So when we church, this is one of the beauties, that uh, one of the things that I love about teaching the Word of God is there are many of us We come from all sorts of backgrounds, we have all sorts of experiences, we have all sorts of struggles. I mean, there is a great diversity in here represented. And yet, there is one Word of God, one Savior, and one Holy Spirit. And as the Word of God is delivered to you, that one Word coupled with that one Spirit, knows exactly what you need to hear and how you need to hear it and how you need to understand it. And so the Holy Spirit is at work to teach each one of us, even though we come from all these different places, we can operate in unity because the Holy Spirit knows all the particulars and He is Himself unified with the Word of God and with the Father and the Son, our Savior. So we don't know... What we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself does and intercedes for us sometimes in groanings that are too deep for words. Sometimes in utterances that we just, we don't understand, but there's something within us that kind of gets what's going on even though we don't, we couldn't spell it out on paper and write it out that we know God is doing something, and we can sense the Spirit of God moving us in prayer, even though we don't exactly know how to put words to it. The context of of these passages we'll want to look at too, because there are some themes that flow through, um, th- flow through these passages we're going to look at, and. Um, I would do want to point out that, that one of the things we're going to find is that the perseverance of the saints is in all of these passages in the context by which these uh, praying in the Spirit is given. Now, that is not to say that that's the only thing the Spirit is going to move us to pray for, uh, praying for ourselves to persevere in Christ and for our brothers and sisters to persevere in Christ. But it does clue us into one thing that's going to happen if we're praying in the Spirit. We are going to be praying for our perseverance and the perseverance of others when it comes to our walks with God. That the hope of heaven is always before us and we're always straining towards it. And that we never give up. In fact, the word here um, in, in Romans chapter 8, where it says the Spirit helps us, uh, that that word means to lay a hold along with us, to help us obtain so we show up to work. We show up to pray. To lay before God. To lay, to lay our life before Him. To be available to Him. To su- be in submission to Him. As we come in prayer. And it is the Holy Spirit who lays a hold along with us. To help us obtain that which God is calling us to. That current that carries us along. In John chapter 4, Jesus pointed out that God is Spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in Spirit and truth. In fact, John chapter 4 verse 23 and 24 says, uh, he's, this is the, where he meets with the Samaritan woman and they have a discourse about worship and, and God and and Jesus says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship with the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The two words that Jesus uh, is using there, one is pneuma, uh, spirit, and the other one is aletheia, truth. When we think of pneuma, we think uh, uh, the the sort of more literal understanding of that is the seat of who you are. So it's the seat of who you are at the core of your being, what's present there. And aletheia just means truth uh, according to the facts. And so Jesus says that if we're going to worship God, that we must worship Him in Numa and aletheia from the seat of who we are according to the facts of who He is. And Paul, even uh, in First Corinthians chapter fourteen, Paul talks about um, in a conversation there that he has about tongues. Talks about praying in tongues, but also talks about um, the context of of prayer and the body of Christ together. That he says, when I'm gathered with other believers, when I'm gathered with other people, that that it's not only my spirit that's engaged because. Uh, if I'm not that and in Paul's language there, he's talking about if I'm praying in tongues, nobody can understand what I'm saying. No, no one is being built up or edified or able to join in with that when I, I'm I'm uttering things that no one can comprehend. And so he says, I pray then it, with my spirit and my mind. That together, the whole being is engaged in prayer, especially in the corporate worship setting. Now, this does bring to to uh, understanding that Paul does see times where he's praying things that he doesn't quite understand. Um, that there are times when he's praying and and words aren't words that he would understand, perhaps are not being applied to it, or words that others would understand. But in the context of a corporate setting, he he says the spirit and the mind need to be engaged here in prayer that we may all work together in unity in prayer. Now, the whole of who we are, I think Scripture is so woven together completely that when we talk about praying in the Spirit, we're touching on all sorts of things that, I mean, this sermon could go on for days. Um, I mean, I think of things like uh, God says to love Him with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Guess what? Praying involves the heart, mind, soul, and strength. It is bringing the whole of who we are, in uh, uh, operating in the love of God, praying in the Spirit with all of who we are. It's not just our mind. We don't just show up and intellectually get engaged where we can spout off really cool words and terminologies, things that seminarians only know, and, and say a lot of these and thous, and, and and clock out and say we're good. Prayer is engaging the core of who we are, the seat of who we are, based on according to the facts of who he is. Now the context, as I mentioned in Romans, there has a lot to do with persevering in our walk with God towards heaven. Ephesians chapter six kind of a, a somewhat similar context there. Ephesians chapter six, verse 18. Um, Paul says this to the Ephesians that we're to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. One thing that comes to mind here with that alertness and perseverance, do you remember what the disciples did in the garden when Jesus was pouring out His heart to the Father, sweating drops of blood because He was in such anguish over what was about to happen as He went to the cross? What did the disciples do? They slept. And what did Jesus encourage them to do? Stay awake. Stay awake. Well, we have one benefit that the disciples did not have, and that is the presence of the Spirit of God with us so that we don't fall asleep. Sometimes that's literally. Sometimes it's figuratively that we don't fall asleep and just not be engaged or get apathetic about what's going on around us, but that we stay alert. That we stay alert and persevere. And also for me, Paul says that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to. There's an interesting thing. This this happens here to uh, occur at a place in Ephesians that is on the um, it's on the tail end of Paul talking about spiritual battle, doing spiritual battle, and on the tail end of that he says praying at all times in the Spirit. So, a key component of spiritual battle that is going up against the enemy of God in the world we live is praying in the Spirit. And the context overall in Ephesians is, uh, I'll just run through a little bit of it just to summarize portions of Ephesians for you. So, in the midst of an evil and perverse generation, we're to walk in the love of Christ. That's one of the themes contained within Ephesians. And then it goes on to to talk about um, instead of living out of the desires of our flesh, that we're to walk in the love of Christ in the fullness of the Spirit, which include fellowship and worship and prayer and living. And we are to stand against the trickery, the deceit, and the manipulation of Satan in this world. We are to pray continually in the Holy Spirit, and here's one thing that Paul points out here that, as he says, praying in the Spirit at all time, uh, praying in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication that is prayer, praying for other brothers and sisters in Christ, praying for other brothers and sisters in Christ, and then Paul lumps into that, uh, he attaches to that. Um, uh, So he says, pray for all the brothers and sisters in Christ and for me. So while we're praying for other brothers and sisters in Christ, remember to pray for me. What do we pray for? What does he say to pray for for him? Specifically, he said that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So one of one of the things that we're going to be praying about when we're praying in the spirit is one is going to be perseverance. Right. That we persevere, that our brothers and sisters persevere in Christ, that they don't get sucked into the traps that the enemy is going to set along the way. And also that we have a boldness in stepping out with the truth of God's word, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves people. That they don't encounter the Ark of the Covenant as only the place of judgment and wrath, but rather a place of mercy and forgiveness. That they find through Jesus Christ, God's mercy and forgiveness. And so the message of the gospel has to go out. And how does the message of the gospel go out? Unless there are people to preach it, to teach it, to tell it, to proclaim it. That's you and me. So, brothers and sisters, as we pray for each other, that we persevere in our walks with Christ and not get sucked into the stuff of this world that will bind us up in a a trap of, of sin and selfishness and all kinds of garbage, that we persevere through that, but that we also pray for each other to have boldness that as God gives us opportunities to share the gospel, that we have courage to speak out and speak the truth and not shy away from it. We're gonna look at the the last passage here that I want to look at today is in Jude. Uh Jude is uh right there sandwiched between uh John's letters, uh Third John specifically, and Revelation. And uh it's a very short book. Um, and but uh man, Jude is a mouthful though. Jude is like it's it's a deceiving meal. It's like the one you sit down to and you start eating it and go, wow, I'm full, but that didn't look like a lot. Um, that's kind of Jude. There's a lot there. So Jude, um, in, one of the things that Jude talks about here is the reality that, that we live in a world of evil and sin, hatred towards God, rebellion. But we need to live not as a part of that, but in the midst of that. So we live as followers of God in the midst of that, refraining from getting sucked into it. And so in Jude's exhortation and and, and encouragement here, he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Spirit, Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Uh, Jude is meaty. So he, he just, he starts off, well at least in this part of it, he's giving this encouragement to believers towards the tail end of his letter here, that you, beloved, build yourselves up in your faith, and pray in the Holy Spirit, so that you keep yourselves in the love of God. These are, this is his encouragement, that while you're living in an evil and perverse uh, generation, that while you're living in the midst of a world that is bent on rebelling against God and finding new ways to hate Him, that you refrain from that and rather that you, you keep yourselves in the love of God by building, your, building up your faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. And then he says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So we pray with this expectant hope that Christ is returning. Uh, Susie mentioned that being uh, sealed. Um, with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that God marks us as belonging to Him. And we have have eternal life to look forward to. We're looking forward to the hope of heaven. That keeps us rolling forward through some pretty nasty stuff this side of heaven because we know that we have something that so far exceeds what we could possibly imagine that it's worth straining and pressing forward and, and driving through the hard stuff to get to it. And so Jude gives that kind of encouragement. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to, to, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. So we have this, uh, uh, this component of purity in here where we seek to walk upright before God. But also that component of reaching the world with the gospel. That we, as we move along, are seeking to snatch people out of the way of God's wrath. And so, as we pray in the Spirit, there are going to be some things that we will find are going to um, be themes of our, uh, as we pray under the guidance, influence, in the current of the Spirit. Now, we're going to talk um, more next week about um, about the characteristics of 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 one who who operates in praying in the Spirit. That that we look at, um, you know, just like here in Exodus, do you know the priest couldn't just walk up and, and do with the incense whatever he wanted to. It was laid out for him, this is how the incense is to be made, this is how the incense is to be burned, and you can't just walk in and do with it whatever you want to or however you want to or whenever you want to. There was a there was a prescription for how the priest was to approach the altar of incense. And so it is that if we're going to pray in the Spirit and walk in step of the Spirit, that we need to conduct ourselves in a certain way in life that we are able to do that. So there are some themes that we're going to find as we pray in the Spirit. One of them is the perseverance and the hope of Christ. Now this is in regards to both ourselves and others. That we have a, 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 uh, a heart interest and in, in a joining with God in seeking that us and others, our brothers and sisters, persevere with the hope of Christ before set before us. And that we persevere and are fruitful amidst our struggles with sin and evil and ungodliness. And that we have boldness to share the gospel of Christ. There's one more thing I want to look at as we wrap wrap up here, and it's something that Jude ends on, and can't be even kind of dismissed from from praying in the Spirit, and that is a confidence in God. Confidence in Him. Look, we have a Savior who created this thing we live on. He created these bodies that we walk around in. He is sovereign over every tiny bit and every huge bit of it things that we have never seen, smelled, touched, or imagined that He presides over with sovereign power. And here's what Jude says as he concludes his encouragement and exhortation to believers. He says, verse 24, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only god our savior through jesus christ our lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all times and now and forever amen it's like jude says there's nothing else to be said <laughs> and i kind of agree with them i mean this this is the punctuation this is like the drop the mic this is this is the this is it this is the end of the matter it's like when someone Drops a line in a discussion and you, you kind of all just like stop and go, well, I guess there's really nowhere to go from there. That's the end. That's the conclusion. And this is it. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, we pray for the perseverance of ourselves and others. Who is it? It's God who is able to keep us from stumbling. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all times, now and forever. And so, no matter what we are moved to pray, as we're gathered up in the current of the Holy Spirit, praying through us and with us, helping us, teaching us, and even praying for us, um, that... That as we're praying for all these things that, that the Lord would lead us to pray for, the one thing that is always, always gonna be consistent is confidence in Him that He can do it. When you look through the Psalms, <clears throat> the Psalms, I would say, if you wanna know what praying in the Spirit looks like, read the Psalms. And when you read through the Psalms, without fail, what you will find is, like at the tail end, no matter what, this, what, what the psalmist is laying out in prayer, sometimes it's, he's being pursued by evil people and he's like, almost sounds like, uh, the sons of thunder, the disciples in the New Testament, like, strike him down, Lord! And at other times, just weeping and grieving over things. At other times, just exuberant and and praising God. But no matter what it is, no matter what the circumstances are, it always ends with confidence in God that He who has me is able to do it. If you want to pray in the Spirit, part of that is believing that the God who made you, the God who you talk to, He's able to keep you he's able to preserve you and the people that you're praying for he's able to accomplish all that he all everything in accordance with this will that we are praying for he is able to do it and desiring to do it and pleading with us he's seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth he that's what he wants He wants us to come before the throne of grace and plead with Him. He wants us to hand over our wills in exchange for His that we begin to pray in accordance with His will and not ours. As Jesus said, Tim pointed out there, as Jesus was in the garden and saying, Father, please take this cup from me. He he says, but not my will, but yours be done. I mean, those, those two things are really important ingredients when we're praying to God and praying in the Spirit. It is that not my will, but yours be done, and I know you can do it. And we'll talk more next week about just having ourselves in a place where we can pray like that. Because it's not like we just, you know, dial up each day, live it however we want to, and then sort of walk into our prayer closet and go, I'm going to pray in the Spirit now. It's it's not quite like that. God wants us to walk in step with the Spirit, the scriptures teach. And continually in prayer. Meaning that, guess what? You can continually pray in the Spirit. You can be in fellowship with God and pray in the Spirit at all times. That's the hope and the desire and what we should be striving for. So we'll talk more about that next week. But in the meantime, I would encourage you, church, to be um, seeking to place your complete confidence in Him. And that as you come to Him in prayer, That you really seek to just kind of lay your will aside and go, Lord, what do you want me to pray about? Who do you want me to pray about? What do you want me to pray? And let Him teach you. And if you're still quite not sure where to start, I would encourage you to start uh, finding some of those prayers in the Bible. Because if you want to know what prayer in the Spirit looks like. Maybe you look at the Lord what we call the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Maybe you look in the Psalms and see how the psalmist prays. Those are great places to begin to learn what what it's like to give your will over in exchange for his and to pray in accordance with his will. Father, We thank you for this amazing privilege that you've given us that we can talk to you. That we can uh, have you even carry us along to to pray for ourselves and others in ways that, Lord, we we really don't have the wisdom to do. But you do. And we ask that you would help us to lay aside all of our own um, objectives and agendas. Our own will. Lord, to have our our desires be brought into submission to yours. That the things we want would be the things that you want. That the things our hearts long for would be the very things that you long for. That we would be in unity with you. So, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Teach us to pray. Not just the words, Lord, but teach us from the seat of who we are to pray in accordance with the truth. Lord, and, and to have full confidence in you. Lord, you are, are, are glorious and majestic and you are sovereign and your your dominion is 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 complete over all things and all peoples. Lord help us to to come before you and to have full faith in that to know that you hear our prayers and to know then that you're at work to answer those prayers because you're the one that put them within us to pray in the first place. Lord, may you be glorified through us and may you draw us together in unity as the church, your, your family, your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.